Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today I'm here with Christy Vaccaro and she is a trainer and she works with a lot of different people out of the Las Vegas, Nevada area on all things fitness, health, nutrition, mindset. And she's just done a really incredible job of growing her business, growing her messaging and providing really practical approach to navigating nutrition and fitness as a mom, as an athlete and working with a variety of clients. She is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. You may have heard her on the podcast prior talking about her work, working with moms, and how her team that she's built are also certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches. So it's been really cool to watch her evolve her business over the last, I don't know how many years we've been friends now, but it's been really great to see that evolve. And now that I'm getting into the competing world of jujitsu, I knew that she was the person I really wanted to help dial in my macros and my approach to training because she understands jujitsu and she really understands my lifestyle and my personality. And combining (laughs) those forces uh, can be really intense, but I knew that she was somebody who'd be up for it. So Christy, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you even got into the fitness and nutrition realm. Like, What's your personal story attached to that? Yeah. So my personal story with fitness and nutrition, I'm going to try and keep this as short as possible, but it really started as a child. And I would say some of the most like influential years where I started to really understand diet culture probably began around like the age of like seven, eight, nine ish and watching my dad. And so my dad was, and still is, a yo-yo dieter. And I haven't talked a lot about this because social media and my dad's on there. And I don't think he'll listen to the podcast, but if he does, we're we're talking about it today, baby. But I watched my dad yo-yo diet. The Atkins diet was really big back then. South Beach, Nutrisystem. He would just go to the extreme end of things. And I learned what yo-yo dieting was. And then on the other side, my mom was constantly sneaking things. So she was sneaking treats. She would, we would like go to Dairy Queen and we'd eat it in the car. And then we'd throw like our wrappers away, but not just throw them in the trash, bury them in the trash. So my dad didn't see them because there would be shame that came with that. So I was learning a lot of this stuff from my parents without even realizing what I was really learning until I got older and started to find myself falling into some of these behaviors and habits. It starts when we're a kid without realizing it. I was at such an impressionable age and then hearing things from your dad like, you're really going to eat that? You know, when you're a little girl and you're like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I? And 
parents usually don't mean any harm, but it can really plant a negative seed for us. And so then that kind of transitioned into college. I had a bulimic roommate. So I started learning about binging and purging. And I was also impressionable in college, you know, you want to fit in. And so I fell into some of those traps. I was a dance major. So there was some anorexia around me. Like, I think we can all look back on our journeys and see all of these things that have compiled, which led me to where I'm at now, which is using all of those experiences to educate and do things differently. I really love that you shared the depths of how deep rooted that is. Cause I think a lot of us hear about it from maybe like our moms or what from the female figure in our life. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, you had it in two different extremes from each of your parents. And I think if we really kind of examine, you know, we could have a parent who's like maybe really obese and then a parent who like never eats to the point of like, she's almost malnourished or like, you know, we just see different presentations of how food and health influence the adults in our life before we could really conceptualize it at younger ages. Like now that we're older and we have different perspectives and tools or insights, you can see a lot of how food and diet culture has influenced literally everything and so much of our behavior as we've grown up. Yeah. I didn't think that I would fall into any of those behaviors. But admittedly, when I first became a personal trainer, it was in the era, I'm going to call it the eat clean, train mean era. Yeah, I remember that era. And it was like, I was presenting as I was this eat clean. And now I will not use descriptive words like that with food. But I was like, oh yeah, eat so clean. And it was the egg whites, the chicken, the broccoli, the rice, everything plain, like no variance in that. And then what did I do on the weekends? Well, I would not only binge eat, I would go to the grocery store late at night because I didn't want any of my clients to see me with a cart full of Doritos and Oreos and all the foods I was going to binge. But then the guy I was dating at the time, I didn't want to be shamed by him. Hello, daddy issues. (laughs) So then I would binge in my car and hide the wrappers or throw them away where I couldn't be shamed for it. And then insert things I learned in college, purge it all. So I didn't gain weight. And it was just, oh my gosh, it was so toxic. And it was so extreme. And it was just, I was repeating these patterns that I had seen starting at seven or eight years old up through college. And it just like bled into my early 20s. I think that's the hard part is you probably were presenting as very healthy on the outside. People would view you and like, look at your body, look at the lifestyle we present as, and just assume that is what healthy looks like. We could say that about a lot of figure competitors or anyone in the bodybuilding physique space, like, oh, they must be like really healthy. And a lot of the times the people that look the leanest or the fittest have the most unhealthy relationship with training, nutrition, lifestyle, food, belief systems, and mental health. But that is a really tricky thing to navigate as coaches that really try to uphold reasonable and practical and sustainable approaches to health because we have these extremes that present a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, when you're novice or new in the the fitness space and and you want to appear as the authority figure, 
but you don't have your own shit figured out yet. And so there are just things that you do and and you don't know better. And, and it's up to us to grow and to seek out education. I'm, I'm thankful that I, I nipped that all in the bud really quick and started seeking out further education because I knew that the cycles and patterns I was repeating were not healthy or sustainable. Right. I think, you know, this is what we've talked about. I mentioned you on the podcast with Miranda, where we talked about some extremes that a lot of female athletes do. It's almost like there's two, there's two camps. There's a world of like diet culture and how that affects women in general. But then we have diet culture and how it affects female athletes. And so that was kind of the conversation Miranda and I were having. I know you listened to the episode where a lot of us have been programmed to be really hyper aware of our nutrition, eat clean, paleo, counting macros, being extremely meticulous with nutrition, with body weight, with body fat percentage, with all of these different measurements and data connected to our food and connected to our body. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we've had people that have, like myself, kind of swung that pendulum to the other side of like, I don't want to weigh myself. I like, I don't want to measure my food. I don't want to follow a diet kind of out of sight, out of mind. And we've seen that pendulum swing and that culture within the fitness and nutrition industry, probably more specifically within the last like five to seven years, I'd say. And it's not even just like body positivity. It's just more of a, I just, I'm going to step away from that kind of extreme because it's not healthy for me. But then we create the other extreme of it being almost too far out of sight and out of mind. And now somebody will come to me and say, but I'm like, I'm not doing these things anymore, but I'm also 10 pounds heavier than I want to be. And like, that's honestly where I was after moving to Idaho. It was like, just trying to like, not be depressed anymore and like really step away from a lot of that stuff. I had kind of gone through different cycles after having babies of really dialed in and then really like, no, nope, that's not really supportive of my mental health or what season I'm in right now. Just kind of different approaches to it. But there wasn't a whole lot of the middle, the middle ground. And I'm seeing that pattern a lot because I've experienced a pattern personally, but then just talking with so many of our clients and our athletes from all different sports backgrounds who have both existed at both ends of that of that spectrum. Are you seeing that a lot too in your circle? Yeah, absolutely. We chatted a little bit before this about the like the middle and the moderation and like the gray area. That's not the sexy space, right? Like we are naturally drawn to, I think, extremes. And that's just kind of what our culture is, especially in regards to dieting and exercise. It's like it's gotta be extreme or it's not a thing. But the women that come to me, I mean, 10 out of 10 times have existed. In the first extremes that we're talking about, like the really extreme diets, and then they just abandon ship. And then they're just like drowning in the ocean of having nothing to follow. And so my mission is to give education and purpose with this unsexy middle that yeah, it may take you longer to reach your goal, but it's something that you can learn and sustain. Sustainability is all I care about for my clients. Yeah. I think that there's like, for me, it was a lot of stories I told myself about what it meant to go back to like counting macros and being that hyper aware of my food. But I was like, I don't want to do that. That is so stressful. I don't want to ruin my relationship with food again. I was like very paleo life eight to 10 years ago and really hyper aware of 
food and it was not healthy, under eating chronically. And it honestly wasn't until I started doing jujitsu, but really like up to my volume of training where I was like, I just kind of don't think I'm eating enough. And like, I've always kind of had stomach issues. And there was this sense of like, what I'm currently doing with my training versus my nutrition, it's out of alignment with each other. And, you know, first I started talking with Antonia a bit about it. She's on my team and talking with you about it. And so you're trying to get an inventory of what truly knowing my body. We all talk about nonstop. You should know your body. You should listen to your body. But I think we are so committed to our own stories and to our own issues and struggles that we actually refuse to listen to our body until we're forced to. And there was enough of like, my training became so important to me that I was like, some, there, it's out of alignment. And I know it's out of alignment. I have to freaking pay attention now. And for a lot of people, that's when they do have to start paying attention is when something happens. There's a catalyst where they're like, shit, what I was doing is actually like not serving me anymore. It's almost like this come to Jesus moment, whether it's a big one or like subtle ones. For me, it was a lot more subtle, but it still was a moment where I was like, I need a little bit more awareness, but I don't want to go to the extreme again. I really love what you said about kind of shifting the way that you viewed it. Like you said, you had stories that you were telling yourself. And I hear every time I consult with a new client, like, the stories that they're telling themselves about what macro counting is or what nutrition is or what meal prepping looks like or how like all these stories that build these these blocks and sometimes as simple as just shifting the way that you explain it to yourself like if we talk about let's say we're looking at macro tracking for a postpartum nursing mom one story is Oh my gosh, that is so extreme that you would track macros in this season of postpartum when your focus should be on healing your body and and your baby. The other story is, mama, you're not eating enough, which is why your milk supply is suffering, which is why your energy is low. Let's track a little bit and make sure that you're getting enough. Mm -hmm. We're not using tracking as a tool for weight loss postpartum. We are using tracking as a tool to make sure that you are nourished in this season when you're putting yourself last. Wow, what two different stories we have there on this using the same tool of macros. Yeah, I hear that. And that is absolutely something I wish I would have. Like I know macros are a tool, but I think for a lot of people that it's been this abused tool. So mm-hmm. how do we once again find this moderation for female athletes, especially entering vulnerable seasons like motherhood, like pregnancy, like nursing, like healing an injury or like healing any kind of like any issue they may be having with their body. How can we use this as a tool, not as something that does not have to be toxic. It's toxic if we let it become toxic. So how can we approach this as like inventory on our body? How are your bowel like movements? Are those improving? And then is that helping your prolapse symptoms? Probably. Probably because now you're actually getting enough fiber and like we can measure that. Or, you know, like, are you not eating enough carbs? Like how many women are like so under eating carbs? Like a majority, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the carb controversy, oh my goodness. It's like, <laughs> that's the pendulum because the easy default mode is to just cut something out completely. Right. And I always, when I chat with a mom or a woman about their past dieting history or what they, I was thinking I might just go back to keto. And my first response, I I like to respond with a question. And Mm -hmm. that question is always, 
do you want to eat carbs? <laughs> Just very simply. And 10 out of 10 people will say, well, of course. And I go, great. Then let's not discuss keto ever again. We're going to focus on moderation because when you cut carbs out, you're going to approach a host of other issues. It's going to mess with your hormones. It's going to cause your body to be greater stressed. I've had women come to me suffering from hair loss, from cutting their carbs and calories too fast for too long, and it's just not worth it. But carbs can be scary because we've been conditioned to think that they're the problem. But we have to look at the bigger picture, pull ourselves out away from just the toxic conditioning from carbs are bad, keto is good, all these things. Like, let's look at the big picture here. Absolutely. And I think, you know, another story that I told myself is like, this is just, it's too much focus on numbers. And like, I hate math. I don't want to have to be measuring everything. And I don't want to have to like, be so cognizant of all of that. So that was a really big barrier for me to like, actually start tracking again, and working with you and like also some friends. I was like, I need this to become a system, like just like in business, I need to create a system so that I can just sort of follow my system. But starting that, I think is really is the that's probably the hardest part of all things macros is like getting some of your staple meals actually measured and saved consistently. So you know, when you have that yogurt with berries and granola or whatever, like that is actually what you're eating. And then having that saved so you can repeat that system, the days that you have it or whatever. I think that is a huge barrier, at least for people like me, was when there's no system created, trying to create that system, it, like it shut me down. And that's why I really struggled to jump on that bandwagon. And then even knowing, and obviously why I worked with you, but I think the majority of the population has no idea how to accurately understand what their nutritional goals are, what their caloric amount should be, what their macro should actually look like for their goals, for their activity level, for their season of life, for if they're nursing or whatever it might be, they have no idea how to calculate that. And that's like not, there's a lot of stuff on the internet, but it is, there's an art to that too. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many different pieces that I want to I did my thing where I just rambled. No. Yeah. So I think first I'll talk on the systems piece. Mm -hmm. Really, really great point there. And you're absolutely right. I like to use the visual of Tetris. And if you don't have a system and if you don't have this kind of game plan for your day, you're playing like Tetris, like as the bricks are falling and you're just hoping that they're going to line up. And it's, it's very stressful and it does not work long term. But if you have a system, so step one for someone, I just say, hey, okay, you have your macro, like, if let's say I figured out someone's macro prescription. The first thing I like someone to do is log what they would prefer to eat in the day, you have your numbers, you have your macro bank. Now let's just log your favorite go to meals for the day and see how they fall. Just see, you may realize, oh, wow, I'm like, super high on fats compared to my goal and I'm super low on protein. So then we can take those foods that you normally eat and just tweak them a little bit. So that way it's sustainable because you already like those foods. And then also going the mindset going into a macro program, we have to be students and be excited to learn something. And I always say, 
why would you want to turn a blind eye to something that you do four to six times a day? For the rest of your life, you're going to be eating anywhere, let's say three to seven, whatever, four to six times a day for the rest of your life. Let's get excited about learning. It is an opportunity to learn about your body versus, oh my gosh, it's apps and it's logging and it's math and it's all these like things. Once again, two different stories. I want to be excited to learn. Yeah. And I think it, again, it doesn't have to be this extreme of um, having to track every single thing perfectly. I think it's just creating awareness around what do I tend to do? Like if I eat most like these foods, most days, like for me, I'm very much a creature of habit with my food anyway. So I know that my breakfast, my snack and my lunch are all, it's usually pretty consistent. So then it's knowing, well, based on what I normally like to eat, what does that mean the rest of my day needs to look like? And I'm actually like really, like you said, really low in fats. Okay. Like, all right, what foods do I need to incorporate then into my, later into dinner or into my later snack? And there's been so many times I've texted you like, Chrissy, especially like doing a little bit of a cut. Like I can't really think about what kind of, what do I need to eat for the rest of the day to hit this? But I think that is the steep learning curve part. And I like, I can understand that I'm looking at this and like, holy shit, I'm totally like in a student role right now where I'm having to learn by doing. And you get those reps of just understanding what your intake is like, what you need to feel good too. And markers that just aren't just represented on the app or on the scale. Like you can start to notice other things about like, okay, I don't feel as bloated as I normally do. Or um, my digestion is so much better. Or my digestion is like not. So what's going on with that too? And I think especially when working with moms that are nursing or maybe moms that have any kind of like pelvic health symptoms, we know that nutrition is a significant part of how their body is functioning metabolically and how it's healing, how it's producing all of these things. Yeah, it's and a lot of the stuff that you have mentioned kind of relates back to the importance of having a coach guiding you through this, at least in the beginning. There are a ton of online macro calculators, but they don't factor in the things that you can discuss person to person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can enter some information, but it, at the end of the day, it's a calculator, right? And so it's going to, I've used so many different calculators just based on curiosity and the variance in macro prescriptions that would not be what I follow now. I'm like, okay, no way. So it's it's important to have that person in your corner where you can communicate about your digestion. And then, so if I have a client that I had one client, she was like super constipated and I knew that her fiber was was good, like consistently good. And so I looked into it. And then I realized, okay, you're getting like 65 grams of fiber a day. And so if you take fiber to the other end of extreme, you're going to, it's too much fiber. She was blocked up. And so then I could look at her food logs and go, okay, let's remove this. Let's remove this. And let's Mm -hmm. stay away from these extreme, holy shit, high fiber tortillas. Like three, three a day are not serving you. So it's, yeah, having that person in your corner to just, communicate and bounce feelings off of because it's so much more than just what the scale tells you and whether or not you're compliant with your macros, energy, sleep, strength, digestion, those things are so much more important in the long game. Yeah. I mean, I truly was like towards the end of my week of training when my volume is really ramped up by Friday afternoon, like I'm at my, I am spent from my week of training and I just like kept hitting a wall. Like I literally could feel myself and I would like, when I was rolling against one of the guys where I'm like, I don't have 
oomph anymore. Like I don't have tension to provide back. Like I'm hitting a freaking wall and I never hit a wall. Like as a human, I don't really hit walls unless I just go like face down. And that was a huge, huge wake up sign for me. Cause I hadn't experienced that from an athletic performance standpoint in years. And like when I was in my twenties, it didn't freaking really matter. I could just rally on through and eat whatever I wanted anyway. It's just been interesting to see, like you have to be willing to look for those signs, whether it's your training or like you said, your sleep or hormones or your hair, or your skin, your digestion. I think that's a huge one that people assume is just like not a big deal, but is a really significant sign of what's happening in your body. So when it comes to, because I know there's a lot of nuance here, but for those people that maybe don't have access to a coach and they're wanting to get an idea of like, all right, how do I get an idea, a ballpark of what my macros should be from an overall standpoint? How does exercise um, get factored into that? And then at an individual level, protein, fat, carbs, like how do I know-ish how much I should be consuming? Great question. So I would say, I'm going to speak to like the beginner here and get kind of just a few steps of like getting started for the beginner. And the first thing we want to do is build nutritional awareness. And we do that from just logging. And I would say, don't change anything. Don't change anything. Just log honestly and truly to the best of your ability for three to four days. Just see what you see. Do you notice any patterns? Do you notice your protein is dog shit or your carbs are... 10 times what you thought they were or your fats or whatever. Or maybe you have like really balanced numbers and you're like, wow, I'm doing pretty good. So you have these numbers, right? You're just general numbers of what you're currently doing. From there, now that we have some awareness, some three or four days of logging, we can use a calculator. And this is where every kind of coach has their own calculator. But a good place to start if we're looking for fat loss is the 10 to 12 multiplier. And I do have this on my social so I can like pin it or something, but 10 to 12 calories per pound of body weight. If you're looking for weight loss. So if you have a 180 pound woman that was looking for fat loss, that could look like 1800 calories to start or more. So you can use these calculators. Maintenance is 12 to 14. And then weight gain or bulking or whatever you want to call it would be the 15 and up. I think I'm at like an 18 multiplier with the output, right? So that's when we start like looking at individualized output and stuff. But for the baseline, so most people fall on that 10 to 12 to start. Then the next step is just going to be looking at protein. So I like to do protein 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight or goal weight. So if you have someone that's, say, 230 pounds and they're looking to lose 50 pounds, you may start them at like 180 grams of protein. But here's where the little ifs, ands, or buts come in. If you've only been eating 43 grams of protein on average a day, going from 43 grams to 180 is going, you're going to feel like you're eating a water buffalo every day. Like you got to like incrementally increase your numbers. So, I mean, you could just say, I want you to hit at least hundred grams of protein a day to start right? baseline. And then let the fats and carbs fall as they may when you get started. 
hit your protein and hit your calorie goal to start and hit at least 25 grams of fiber, please. I know. No, I think that's like really, it's, it's good, almost like good boundaries for people to understand. Like if you're, if nothing else, know that you're kind of around here. But I think what happens is especially female athletes, we have like these extreme behaviors around food that are deep rooted. And again, I can speak very personally to this. It's like, do we dial, 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 but then you're like, fuck it. I'm not like tracking anything today. I'm just going to like black out and eat these cookies or these chips and dip or whatever it might be. And again, you're on that pendulum swing of like out of sight, out of mind and getting a little bit better about just acknowledging like that's okay. Sometimes that cannot become a repeated behavior because that's when it's going to be really problematic. So we don't have to have an all or nothing approach to it, but we should recognize some of those tendencies and when they happen. And yeah, I also, get back into it. I also like to reframe the the common phrase for a day like that as a cheat day, right? That's kind of the old old thing is is calling it a cheat day. So I like to talk with my my clients about planned untracked days. Mm-hmm. It's the mindset going into a planned untracked day is completely different than the mindset going into a cheat day. Yeah. Right? Because you feel like you're in control because it is planned. You are planning to not track this day. Let's say you're going out on the lake with your family. You're taking a planned untracked day. You're still in control because you planned it versus it's a cheat day. And then you feel guilt and remorse and most likely you binged and it's really negative. So little simple like swaps with the verbiage we use going into days like that can really shift the trajectory of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, it's, you know, like just working with women, it cannot be like, there's no off the wagon. Like if you want to pursue this lifetime of athleticism and you want to truly be healthy, like mentally, physically, all of these things, like it's not about getting it perfect and getting it right. It's about gathering tools to do it well enough for as long as you possibly can, you know, for as long as our life allows us. Maybe you're not gonna be tracking macros when you're a grandma, like, but maybe you're by then you're gonna have a hell of a lot more awareness around what food you need to make sure you're moving well. And you, again, you have good bowel health. Like you're gonna have this body knowledge and education around food to know what you need to fuel whatever season of life you're in, whatever your goal might be. Right now it's performance goal. Probably won't be performance goal when I'm like 80 or 90. I don't know, maybe, but like, it might just be a quality of life goal. What kind of nutrition habits can we learn now, learn about our body now, and then kind of have inventory of that as life presents new challenges. Hey, my mother-in-law started tracking macros. Speaking of grandmas and macros, My mother-in-law, she's in her mid-70s and she started tracking macros probably a year and a half ago. And she was just over to her house over the weekend and she was sharing with me how she's sharing her macro knowledge with all of her grandma friends and how big of a difference it's made because they they fell victim to the diet culture. And a lot of them were doing Weight Watchers. They weren't properly fueling with higher protein and all these things. And she's like on this mission, I'm like trying to hire her to take on like 70s and up clients. But she's like, yeah, you know, we're just not fueling ourselves. And my mission with all of this for women and moms in particular is to provide the tool and the knowledge around nutrition so they don't feel like 
gosh, I had a, a mom comment on my post the other day. She said she was in Whole30 and she knew it had gone too far when she went to try her son's mac and cheese to make sure it wasn't too hot. And she felt like she failed her entire month. She's like, that's when I knew it had gone too far. And this is, in my opinion, the biggest issue with the dieting culture is that we want to be able to raise our children differently than many of us were raised. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to grab ice cream with our kiddos and not fail whatever program we're on. Like, how can we be show them like positive relationships with all types of foods and not going, Oh, mommy can't have that. Cause I'm doing Octavia meals only or isogenics or keto or the list goes on. Like have a positive relationship with food for your children. Yeah. Oh man. That's something I'm so, I have become so hyper aware of is just how we talk about our bodies, how we talk about food. And I mean, I think a lot of people assume you also have two boys. Assume that because we have boys that, well, maybe they're not going to be as influenced, but they certainly are. And it's also like how that's going to transfer over into how they interact with people as they grow up and what they see. And I want them to have a really solid understanding of what it means to just like appreciate their body, fuel their body, understand food and not have a mom who is missing out on so much with them because I'm so preoccupied by it. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Yeah. Yeah. The words that we use to describe foods, to describe our bodies, like we're obviously both competing in jujitsu. So we're weighing ourselves. Right. And even moments like that, like when my kids see me step on the scale, what am I saying? What is the purpose of this? And there's just a lot to unpack in all of that. And we have to slow down and think before we speak and think about our actions and and what we're doing and just pull ourselves out and look at the big picture. Once again, the long game here, like how is all of this going to impact them? Let's talk a little bit about weighing ourselves because that's a fun part of the conversation. I did talk about that again with the podcast with Miranda, but this is a slightly different spin. I had a really hard time. I went from not weighing myself for years, literally years. I would turn around at the doctor's office Frankly, if I went to the doctor's office now, I'd still probably be like, I'm not, just don't talk to me. Like, fuck that scale. But I went from not weighing myself for a very long time, just kind of went off of how I felt, uh, my clothes fit, but like I wear leggings. So is that really that much of a feedback? And pictures, which again, I think that served for the seasons I was in, whether it was pregnancy or postpartum, surgeries mental health, whatever. I think it served its purpose of not adding another thing that could potentially mind fuck me for where I was at in my process then. And that there comes a time and point where out of sight, out of mind does not serve you anymore. And that looks different for everybody. Again, mine was years, freaking years. And it got to a point where I was like, I need, I need to know these things about myself. I need to know what I'm consuming at a numerical level. And I need to know how much I weigh if I'm going to compete. And also just for the kind of health and performance and quality of life that I actually do want. And that is important to me. I don't want to be in a bigger body. And I've been a lot of different sizes, but I know where I want to be. So how can I take control of that? Well, it comes with like facing the music a little bit and getting comfortable with that. And 
the first month I didn't weigh myself. I had Jared, which sucked too. Like, I was like, I don't want him to know. And like, he doesn't give a shit. Like he doesn't give a single shit, but I wouldn't even like, look, I just had him put it in bed. Like it, the scale was connected to an app on his phone. But eventually, again, I needed like this really long warm up period with the scale and with macros, this long warm up period with like getting, doing it consistently enough where it became less triggering, I guess, you know, like it just became less triggering the point where it was like a lot more neutral feeling, but it's that pulling the bandaid off initially and getting into that habit that I think is really hard because of all the stories we've created about what that means. And I'm like, I got my head on straight with this shit. Like, I know that this isn't my worth and that the scale doesn't mean shit and all these things. Like I know that. And still it's a fucking thing. So it just was this really long warm up period with getting used to weighing myself. And what I've thought is really fascinating from being weight cognizant is if I weigh myself on Monday and then maybe I don't weigh myself again till Thursday, I miss out on a lot of data about my body and weight loss process. And before I told myself, well, I'm just weighing myself a couple times a week. That's probably like good enough. Like that's great. And again, on ramp period for me, I had to get really warmed up to this process, but I was very against weighing myself every day for a long time. And I would have told the same to my clients, what I have learned about my own stories and belief systems attached to that is like, when you weigh yourself every day, you can actually see the trends because your weight's going to go like this up and down, up and down. And then like eventually kind of down. And then you know what? It might spike the fuck right back up. And then it'll go down a little bit gradually, but it looks really freaking linear for a long time. And if you're only weighing yourself sporadically, you're kind of only going to see the linear, or maybe you're going to see a spike, like, you know, and it just doesn't give you accurate data and feedback. And while again, this might be common sense to a lot of people, that was something that I really overlooked, really overlooked. Yeah, it's not common sense. Like it is that you experienced it and you know now, but. I have, I still have this conversation almost daily. One of the things I like to start out by asking someone that I'm working with is scale questions and find out if it's a trigger because if they're not in a space, not everyone's in a space where they're ready. Like you said, it took you a time. But if I'm working with someone that's using weight as a metric, it needs to be done daily because as you know, our bodies can fluctuate, gosh, like up to close to 10 pounds a day. Yeah. And so imagine, I always say, what if you're only weighing weekly and you weigh on an uptick and you think you gained eight pounds? You're going to freak out. You're probably going to binge. You're going to spiral mentally. You're going to want to quit. And then it's going to be this whole thing. But if we just look at it like it is, and then, then I give the speech, it takes 3,500 calories in surplus to gain a pound of fat. You didn't gain a pound of fat. It's water. It's this, it's that. You're fine. But we could avoid all that if we just weigh daily and take the data and look at it just like that. It's just data mm-hmm. and watch the trends. And like you said, there's going to be upticks. We're humans like inflammation, water, sodium level variances like time of the month, hello, women, like all these different things are going to impact that number. But if we can step back and look at the data points, and then I would say, connect the bottom dots. Are the bottom dots going up or are the bottom dots going down? I don't care about the bounces. I only care about the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. It's being able to like really look at that trend and the being able to truly zoom out. And when you're weighing yourself sporadically, 
you're only seeing a zoomed in picture of that particular day. And you, in order to really, again, to truly know your body, we talk about listening to your body, being really aware of your body, body education, all these things, you got to have an idea. And you know what? Maybe your weight kind of stays consistent, like maintenance-ish, but your body composition will change. That was more of like my wheelhouse. I was like, well, I know body composition change. I don't know a whole lot about like making sure the weight trends down, how to go about doing that. And it's been a really eye-opening experience about like kind of busting open some of my fucked up belief systems as a coach, as an athlete, and just things that like, even when you know better, it's really hard to put into practice. Really hard. I think it's so cool that you've shared some of these vulnerabilities. I mean, I learned, I didn't know that you had the bugaboo with the scale until like I had, I had heard just in like a few little things over the course of the last couple of years, like different dieting things and, and mindsets that I feel like you've started to shift, but I had no idea about the scale thing. I was like, wow, okay. I didn't know that. And I think it's really cool that, you know, you and your position are, we're willing to share that. Like it's very relatable for many women. Yeah. I mean, I think like none of us have our shit together. We all struggle in different ways. And I think it's really easy again to like, we change our goals, change our bodies, change our needs, change our seasons change. And again, I think that if I would have been really meticulous about macros and my weight during say like the first couple of years of motherhood, that would have been detrimental for me, for me. Because I was not at a, a place where I wouldn't take it to an extreme. So I needed to almost like back away from that in order to give myself space to just be and not be hyper-focused on any of that as it related to like my worth or what I looked like or whatever. There was very freeing. And now in a different season of life, it's really freeing to have a little bit more information and feel like I'm making more informed choices about what my body needs, about what's you know, reflective of like just what I want right now. And it's not that one is super wrong or whatever. I think it's just like, it's know thyself, right? Like you're supposed to change. You have permission to change. You will change. You should change. Good. And you better be able and willing to change what you do and how you do it to respect that because one way will not serve you sustainably forever. Yeah. I think it's so important to be able to reflect on where you're at and what sort of season you're in. I had, I recently shared kind of my training volume and a similar post that you had done, like where you're at, how often you're training, yeah. all that stuff. I just posted it on my story and someone messaged me and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you train so much. And I, here I was thinking four to five days per week was good. And I said, that's fantastic. That is great. Oh, I was awesome. like the season I am in with learning a new sport of jujitsu requires this volume. And also I cannot sacrifice my strength training as well. So it is a season when I was postpartum, it looked different when I was building my business, it looked different. And so we can all be in different places and it doesn't make one right or one wrong or one superior. We just have to be able to look at our season and go, am I in a season of tracking? I toggle in and out of seasons of tracking. Right now I'm in a season of tracking. I'm back in a weighted sport. I'm hitting it hard, but I take seasons off from tracking as well and go into intuitive mode. And so we just have to be able to be flexible and be willing to pivot without getting so tied to one thing. Yeah. And I think that's really key is like, you can be 
I think you'll have a lot, people will have a lot more success with intuitive eating when they have, when they understand their body and what it like needs. Well, they know what that looks like. They know how they feel. And then it actually becomes intuitive because before I would have told you, I eat pretty intuitively. I don't know, I'm healthy, but I think I was like really under eating fats a lot of the time, really under eating carbs. My protein was like mostly good, but like there are certain things where it's like, oh, like, well, if you're having stomach issues, your fats are probably really freaking low and you need to like up those. And having you get that intuition after you create that awareness through getting some data on your body and some more familiarity about the foods that make you feel good and the amount of foods that make you feel good. And again, that acts as a way to serve you for the rest of your life, whether you track or you don't track, you get that inventory. You understand what you need. And then when you need to check back in, maybe you're in a weight class sport. Maybe you just you're just not happy with what your body looks like right now. It has nothing to do with having like fucked up body image. You're like, no, nah, I just like, no, I could, I want to be about 10 pounds less. I want to be, I want to lose some body fat. And that's okay too. Like, I think that's been super shamed on social media is like, oh, it's so wrong to have these body composition goals or whatever. And again, there's no one right way for anybody. Yeah. It is great when you can take the time, learn the tool, gain the awareness and then visualize a tool belt. What do we do? We put tools back on the tool belt sometimes. That's your season of not logging. And then when you get to that place, the weighted sport, or you want to drop some body fat, pull that tool, pull your food scale right back out and use it again. Like yeah. that's the beauty of it. You don't have to be hard tied to it for life. It's not a prison sentence. Right. And I think like for me, it wasn't enough to just be able to like Google this or like trust myself to be my own coach with it. And so reaching out with to you was really helpful because I could give you like, all right, here's where I'm currently at. Here's where I think I need to be ish. And here's maybe a longer term thought process. Here's what I'm currently eating. And like you take this mess of like behavior and history and current status and performance output, all these different things. And like you create the equation that you, that's going to work best for me because me trying to do that, it's, just, it's not going to be as effective. Well, and for you, for you, there are a lot of, I will say, like family-based considerations that I want to keep at the forefront, like the competing in the sport and toggling what weight class is going to be best for you. Like that's important, mm -hmm. but I really want wanted to when we started talking and still want to focus on how you can still track macros, but go to your lake house go on vacations, have your mom's chocolate chip cookies, things like that, while still honoring your commitment to the sport. And that's the trickiest thing for most people. But I'm excited for this summer to see how we work it out. Yeah. yeah. And I think again, it's giving I think I've given myself a lot of permission to just like this. God, it's just such a long on ramp for me, like such a long process of getting more comfortable figuring out like, what is going to make this sustainable? Like tracking, being cognizant of all of this. Like, how can I do it in a way where like, I'm still in my healthy zone, still in my healthy zone, I'm not getting toxic again. And I'm not in the fuck it mindset. Like, how can I stay in this like healthy realm <laughs> of tracking most days, awareness, most days, sometimes some fuck it days, but maybe more of like a fuck it couple hours. And then back to the healthy zone. Like, it's figuring out what that looks like for me instead of just like defaulting to one way or the other. And I think that's where so many issues are created for people is we are not self-aware enough to come back and reset in that healthy mode. We just are say like, fuck it. I'm over here now. 
in the like, I'm not going to weigh myself. I don't want to know. I'm just going to eat whatever. This is, it was unhealthy for me or the obsessive zone where it's like, I can't enjoy this ice cream with my kids. I don't want to go to this dinner out with friends. I'm not going to have this, whatever. Like we just get too locked down. So again, how can we make progress towards our aesthetic or performance goals, weight loss goals, whatever it might be, and still stay in this healthy range without teeter-tottering is like toxic and extreme or yeah, just the other side. I want to give a really practical tip for anyone listening that feels like their weekend turns into like a fuck it day or a fuck it weekend. So this is what I have kind of adopted over the years and it works really well. So let's just use a barbecue, like a late afternoon barbecue as an example. So you know, you're going to this barbecue. It's not your barbecue. So you don't really know what foods are going to be there. There may be some alcohol, some cupcakes, all the dips and chips. And you know, you're talking, you're standing around the island, you're eating all the things like that's what you visualize. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I've seen that on your stories. So many snacks. (laughs) This is like a common occurrence for the weekends. And most people will just go, oh, it's a cheat weekend, whatever. But I want you to think about continuing to log up until the barbecue and stick to what you would normally do versus like, oh, I know I have this barbecue. So I'm just going to make cinnamon rolls and start the day off with mimosas and just like the whole fuck it day. Mm -hmm. So let's start out with a really nutritious breakfast maybe add some extra protein, have a high protein snack, hit your water goals to the best of your ability, and then leave some wiggle room in your macros. So a lot of times when we go to these events, our protein is what is lacking. There's a lot of carbs, there's a lot of fat, there's a lot of sugar. If you're having alcohol, empty calories there. So let's come within like 30 grams of your protein goal before an event and really load up on like fruits, veggies, and water leading up to it. So you have a nice, like happy, healthy gut and then go and enjoy. And when you get home, if it's still like, if there are hours left in the day and you get hungry, don't deprive yourself of a meal after you have that event. Like that's another common occurrence that people are like, Oh, well I had this cheat meal or this barbecue or whatever. So I'm just like not going to eat the rest of the day. Like, no, still have like a nutritious, protein focused or protein forward meal before you go to bed. So you're not like falling in the trap of then like trying to restrict yourself because you feel guilty for what you just did. Right. And then like, tomorrow's a new day. I tell myself is like, if I just kind of like ate shitty and said, fuck it, like, well, that doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be the same. Like that means tomorrow I'm going to have breakfast that I have both days. That means I'm going to have my same snacks, my lunch, I'm dinner, like I'm going to, I'm going to get back on track. And that's how you, that is how you in the messy middle, create this lifetime of athleticism and fitness and like a good relationship with food is it's not this extreme. It's just giving yourself a lot of grace to like both learn and improve your habits, but also like the grace to have a lot of freedom and flexibility around it where you don't have to be rigid. It does not have to be one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Look at if you felt guilty about it, Some people would feel guilty. So then I would say, look at the mindset. Why did that make you feel guilty? Let's give ourselves permission to have untracked and off days. It's totally okay. You're a human. And then, yeah, don't feel like you have to wait until Monday or wait until a new week or a new month or you're a failure. Like you're not like, let's just move on. We don't have to talk about it. Like let's, you want to address the mindset. 
fine, but don't dwell on the off untracked fuck it day. It's okay. We'll move on. That day is not going to determine your success. Because it really is like, and we know this like as coaches, it's like, it's not uh, one good day in the gym that makes you like into a good athlete. And you don't learn jujitsu in a couple of weeks. Like it's the sum of our habits over so many months, so many years, like, oh my God, so many years. So this is the same conversation just presented in a, hopefully like a really like neutral way, how we're talking about food here. It's not about like right and wrong or this best approach or whatever. It's just, again, it's having inventory of your body. So that over time, you can kind of like see progress in your body and how you feel and how you perform, what you look like, whatever it might be, but it's not accomplished in um, being paleo for 30 days or whole 30 or 75 hard or whatever these other things are. Um, It really is stretched out over months and years. Yeah, there has to be, if you're thinking about trying one of, those sorts of diets, I always like to say, what is your plan after? And do you see yourself doing this for the next five years? Mm -hmm. Usually the answers are, I don't have a plan after. And hell no, I don't want to do it for the next five years. So then my response is, let's build some awareness and let's find something that you can sustain for the next five years. Because if you can sustain it for five years, you've built yourself a lifestyle baby. And and it doesn't have to have a fancy title, but we like fancy titles and we like extremes, but that's where I'm going to just die on this rock of, of moderation. And I'm going to steal, steal precision nutrition's title of strategic moderation, because I love the strategy piece of that. That's the planning. That's the going into an untracked day, intentionally untracked day. Like let's be strategic about this. And let's pump the brakes on the timeline. Yeah. Like if, if we can, I love the quote of falling in love with the process. <laughs> like there are two types of people. I'm in the delayed gratification camp. Hi, jujitsu, right? Like it's going to take a decade before you're, you're really at, you know, that top level. And then even yeah. then you still have more learning. Yeah. But a lot of people like these, these quick, 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 quick fixes. But if you can start to love delayed gratification, life is going to be so much more rewarding and exciting because you're going to look at learning macros as, wow, I'm learning education. It's a process. Every day I'm learning something new, weight fluctuations. Like there's all these little nuances and exciting things that we learn about ourselves in the process, but we have to learn to love that delayed gratification. Oh, 100%. And that is there's science that supports the value of delayed gratification. And I think we understand that when it comes to fitness and making performance changes, progressive overload. Like we understand, we practice that. Nutrition, we have been sold quick fixes. We have never been sold a long game. We've never been sold like progressive overload for nutrition. We've just been sold eat this way, deprive, be this size, be this aesthetic. And that's the fastest and easiest, most restrictive way of going about that. So again, in the same same umbrella of like health, fitness, we understand delayed gratification, that long game of having to like get stronger over time, do more over time, like see improvement over time. Cool. And for some reason, nutrition has been totally, it's on the other end of the spectrum where we expect it to be an extreme in order to see any kind of progress. But really it is this long game of being cognizant of your habits. I, my hope is that 
people like you and I in this space of fitness and nutrition professionals, we can show what that delayed gratification looks like as mothers mm-hmm. and show that you can be fit and strong and healthy and active and also enjoy experiences with your kids. Like we're the product of that. And so I hope that more and more female coaches that have achieved that can share their story and say, Hey, it's worth the weight. It's worth the uh, nutritional progressive overload. It's worth it. I love that. Yeah. It just, we have a lot, we have a lot of unpacking and undoing in that diet culture. To say the least. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other in order to help move that dial forward in a really positive direction for your life and your experience. Great. Christy, thank you for being here. This was super insightful. I really appreciate all of the like personal things you've shared, the valuable strategic information that you've shared for people. And if somebody wants to work with you or learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. First, thank you for having me. I think that this podcast episode will really touch a lot of people and there'll be a lot of, I feel that moments. So I work, I live in Las Vegas, but I work with women and moms all over the world. Um, Most of my clients are actually not even here in Vegas. So FitLV Fitness and Nutrition is my handle on the Instagram, on the Facebook, on the YouTube, all of the things. So please find me and say hello. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.